I love that last song, and the question is, do you trust him? What a song. Do you trust him? Ties in well to what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about Jesus' power and authority. Anyways, I'm Dave Buck. I'm one of the pastors on staff here and get the privilege of finishing up chapter 8 this morning. And probably a subject that uh, might challenge us a little bit whole issue of demons and, and what Jesus does with them. So there's an outline too. If you've got it, follow along. We'll do some fill-ins. And uh, so whenever I think about this subject of authority, it challenges me. So today, we're going to look at this amazing power and authority of Jesus. So join me as I pray. Lord, thank you so much for allowing us to be in your house to study your word, to rely on you. I pray too, as John was talking about, whatever's going on in our lives, I pray that we bring them to you. You have the authority and the power to take care of us. Help us to depend on you. So Lord, guide and direct our time. Help my words honor your text. And most of all, I pray that we all bring you glory. Thank you for loving us. And all God's people said, amen. Have you ever considered Jesus' power and authority? Have you ever encountered somebody that has true power and authority? Our family, we, some of us, some of our kids had to uh, get orthodontic work and the dentist, or the orthodontist we go to, he was a dentist in the Navy. And so he always tells my son stories about his time being on an aircraft carrier and being a dentist on an aircraft carrier. And one time he told this story that goes well with this. He had never met the captain of the ship. And the ship has 5,000 people on it. The captain came in one day into his office and had a problem with his tooth. Put him in the chair, the dentist did, and he said, hey, do I need to stop all operations on this ship while you work on my tooth? And the dentist said, I don't think so. And he grabbed the phone, the captain did, and shut down all operations on the ship by his word, by his power and authority. And the dentist asked him, he said, why why did you do that? And he said, because you hesitated and said, I think. He went ahead, worked on the man's tooth. After the tooth was fixed, captain grabbed the phone and said, resume operations. And as the orthodontist was telling us that story, he said, I encountered true power and authority. There wasn't anybody on that ship questioning him to say, you can't or cannot stop the ship. I don't know if you've ever watched any documentaries about aircraft carriers. There's thousands of things going on. And that one man had the power and authority to shut things down or start things up. If you have a military background, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And why I'm saying that is 
oftentimes I don't know if we think enough about Jesus' power and authority. We've been in this series, and the last four weeks, starting with Josh White, and then Roger Pop, and then Eric last week, they've been talking about Jesus' power and authority. Even last week, Jesus says, calm down, and the sea calm down. Matthew, the author of this gospel, he is convincing us that Jesus has all power. He has all authority to be our King and Lord. The first four chapters of Matthew talks about him. Jesus has the right to the throne. And then in chapters 5 through 7, we called it the Sermon on the Mount. He says, I have the authority to tell you how to live in my kingdom. And if you recall, when we went through that sermon, let me just give you a few traits that you have to have to live in his authority, under his authority. One is you must be born again. You have to be born again to live in Christ's kingdom. Second thing, you have to be salt and light in a dark, secular world. You got to be praying. You got to be giving. You got to be fasting. You got to become a humble person with a servant attitude. I love when I teach a gifts class and people go, I want to know what my gift is. And I go, start with the one I know you have. Start serving. And they go, well, I got to have a different gift than that. And I go, no, you all got that one. Now let's work on other ones. Invest in heavenly treasures. Invest in people. Bear fruit. Learn how to be kind and patient and gentle. Be doers of the word. So in 1 through 4, he says, Jesus is the Messiah, the one to come save us, and he will rule as king. In chapters 5 through 7, he says, this is how I want you to live in my kingdom. And in chapters 8 and 9, he does miracles. And he does the miracles to validate his authority and his power. That makes sense? So Matthew's trying to create a picture for us to understand that Jesus has complete power and authority. He demonstrates it because he, he first takes care of some people's needs, not their wants. He healed the sick. And do you realize every person that Jesus healed eventually died? I think the prosperity gospel people need to think about that. Jesus healed them to show his authority, and they still died. If they didn't, they'd be around today, and we could ask them some fun questions. And the reason they died is because this is not our home. Jesus took them to be at home with him. He did it to prove his authority. He also showed he had compassion on the unloved in our society. And that's the topic I want to really tackle today, is do you ever consider his power and his authority in your life? 
Jesus always teaches profound truths to change people's lives in a profound way. Jesus demonstrated he had the authority to tell us how to live in his kingdom. Most of us struggle with that because we don't want to live the way he's telling us to live. I'll tell you, let him take control of your life. It is so much better. He demonstrates he has authority over nature. Eric preached on that last week. The disciples even said, what kind of man is this? Be, be, I mean, take yourselves and put yourselves in that boat for a second. You, you think you're going to die because the waves are crashing in. And Jesus is sleeping because he likes to be rocked to sleep. And they wake him up, and he says, ah, calm, and everything stopped. The wind stopped, the waves stopped. And now remember, these were fishermen. They understood the ocean. They understood it as this turret. It, it was a, a crazy thing to be around. And this man stops it all. Jesus is teaching him, teaching them. He has complete authority and complete power. Matthew chose his wording when he said, a great calm happened, basically meant they were freaked out. You would have been too. Now, we're going to look at Jesus has authority over the spiritual realm. But I need to give you a little background as we talk about the spiritual realm. There's actually two realms considered in Scripture, the eternal kingdom of God and the temporary kingdom of Satan, or what we call the limited kingdom. And I remember I was teaching a class one time, and some people in the class were saying, help me understand that. And and uh, the, the carpet I was standing on was similar to this up here. I don't know if you can see it. There's a bunch of white dots all over this carpet. And let's say that's the whole universe. And God, or through Jesus, says, that's mine. I own it all. And this one little dot right here, this speck called earth, that's Satan's temporary kingdom for a limited time. And by the way, Jesus owns that too. So I want you to get the picture that God's eternal kingdom, he owns it all. And for a limited time happening in Genesis chapter 3, with the fall, Satan got power. He's the prince and the power of the air over this earth. So there's a warfare. There's a battle going on. And guess what? Oftentimes, we're caught in the middle of that battle. The eternal kingdom, in Psalms 10, 6, 16, says this, The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his hand, or his land. Jeremiah 10, 10, But the Lord is the true God. He's the living God, the eternal God. The earth quakes at his wrath and the nations cannot endure his rage. The false kingdom of Satan. 
In John 12, 31, it says, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world would be cast out. Amen, that's good news. In Ephesians 2, 2, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince and the power of the air. That's a, a reference to Satan. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We live in a world, a philosophical world, that's controlled by Satan. So when the world's doing it, you should go, no. You're not supposed to follow the world. It's not controlled by God. Jesus stated in 1430, in John chapter 1430, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of the world is coming, and he has no claim on me. And we will see in this text he has no claim on Jesus. So God's plan is to redeem man. He is to redeem the world. He's to reclaim his kingdom on that dot. He already has everything else. He's taking it back. And that's what's going on in Scripture. So let's look at this encounter with two demon-possessed men and what Jesus does. But I want to start with a quote by C.S. Lewis. People make two mistakes in considering demons and demon activity. Either they discount it or they think nothing of it. Or they become too fascinated or preoccupied with it. Demon activity is real. It's more active in some darker regions than others. But it's something the Christian should not live in fear of. For Christ has won the victory over such evil forces. In this section, Jesus will demonstrate his power over the spiritual realm. Again, put yourself with Jesus. He just calmed the storm. And now he's going to show up and encounter these two demon-possessed men. Jesus demonstrates he can heal anyone. Isn't that good news? Have you ever encountered somebody and you go, man, I don't know. Well, you don't know is the operative thing. Jesus can save anyone. And he's going to validate that in a few moments with these two men. Jesus heals the lame. He heals the outcast. He calmed the storm. He healed the possessed. So if you've got your outline, follow along with me. Point number one is this. A violent and dangerous situation. Verse 28, Matthew 8, 28 starts with this. And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs so fierce that no one could pass that way. So it was evening, and the Lord and the disciples crossed to the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. We call this the Gentile area. And I want to give you, in Luke it talks about this, and also in Mark chapter 5. In Mark chapter 5 and in Luke, it mentions one person. 
And I want to tell you, it's not a contradiction. I just want to clear it up for you. Matthew is an eyewitness to this. Luke and Mark were recording what they were told. And they were told the one man talked to Jesus. It's not discounting another man being there. For example, let me just explain it this way, just for clarity. Yesterday, I was at a wedding. Actually, I officiated the wedding. It was for Megan and Elijah. Elijah works here. He's on staff. He got married, so we're excited. It was a lot of fun. But I sat down with a friend I hadn't seen for quite a while, and we talked. Now, I didn't say his wife was there, did I? But she was there. So what, what Luke and Mark do is they talk about the one that speaks to Jesus. So I just want you to get that in your mind. It's not a contradiction. Does that make sense? Somebody go, okay. In the first service, one person said, yeah, I got it. Um, so they land. Now remember, this is right after he calmed the sea. And so they land on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee, and I sort of want to give you some pictures of it just to give you an idea. Now, this isn't the exact location because we don't know the exact location, but I want you to get a frame of reference. So the first picture is whenever you, in the region of the Galilee, if you saw caves, most likely it was where a tomb was. For some reason, that's where they buried people. You're familiar with it because Jesus was buried in a cave. But they would, outside of the town, they'd have caves for all sorts of people. And it would look like this. Go ahead and go to the next picture. It most likely was an area like this, which makes me think of Jesus. Hey, you guys, we just went through a bad storm. I calmed it. Now let's land at a bad place with some bad guys. Very violent. So let me give you a couple things. Now that isn't the place, I don't know the exact place, but that is the this eastern shore. It's not really where you go and surf. So, it's a graveyard. It had very steep hills. There's two possessed men. Now, being possessed, you want to notice this, it involves the indwelling of an unseen evil spirit in a way that it prevents the individual from fully controlling his or her actions. Did you get that? It's an unseen spirit, and that person cannot control their actions. And it says they came down from the tombs. Dr. Craig Bloomberg says this, more properly, it would be burial caves, and it epitomizes uncleanliness forming an appropriate abode for the devil. And he said, Satan regularly dwells in that which is the most profane. They had the higher ground. They were violent men. We know from Mark chapter 5, they would even cut themselves. They were extremely strong. And they would attack people as people would cross through. People avoided this area. Everybody avoided it. And Jesus says, okay, calm the storm. Let's go to that area. Again, put yourself in the boat. You'd probably say, no, Jesus, let's sail somewhere else. This isn't the place to land. The violence of these men 
was known throughout the whole region, and nobody could control them. Now, at one of my former churches, I wasn't preaching, another guy was preaching, and a man came right down the center aisle screaming and yelling completely out of control. And a buddy of mine who was on the SWAT team ran right up in front of the pastor. But before he got about halfway down the aisle, two firemen tackled him. Eventually, two off-duty officers tackled him. Ended up taking six guys to hold him down, and he wasn't very big. Now, most of us in this room would go, ah, drugs, our mental illness. And that's exactly what I was thinking. So myself and another pastor, we went out with them. They finally got him in the courtyard, and they're holding him on the ground, waiting for an ambulance to come and get him. It took all six of these men, plus some other men, holding him down. And profanity just coming out of his mouth. Face just, ooh, I mean, just scary situation. I'm standing with the other pastor, and I'm doing the smart thing. I'm about 20 feet away because I'm thinking, if he gets loose, I'm running. Um, I, he finally turned his head, and he looked at me and the other pastor, and complete calmness and clarity says, I don't want to talk to those two men. This is weird. The other pastor said to me, that guy's possessed. In our culture, we avoid demon possession. We say drugs, we say mental illness, we come up with all sorts of things. If you've ever been to Africa, it's quite different. You know where they start with? We think that person's possessed. Let's take care of that first before we try and figure out something medically. I think they've got it right. These guys were violent in this passage. You did not pass through there because most likely you would get beat up or killed. You know what I find interesting? You might have heard the term recently. They're talking more and more about it called gateway drugs. Anybody hear that term? Just somebody shake a head. Okay, good. And gateway drugs are about drugs that you would take a drug and eventually lead you to take a different drug that's more controlling. Let me give you a little Greek history. In the first, second, third century, they had a lot of temples they would go and worship at. They would give drugs, the word's called pharmakia in Greek, and you know that's where we get our word pharmacy. And they would give drugs, and the drugs were to help induce a spirit to indwell you. It's a gateway drug. Oftentimes, I've wondered if people that are controlled by drugs, have they allowed evil spirits into their life? Because you know what? Even our society says, oh, those drugs are controlling that person. The drug is, or is something else controlling it? So drugs were often used to encounter evil spirits. Number two on your outline, the demons immediately recognize Jesus. 
Look at this in verse 29. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come to torment us before the time? Let me give you four observations. The demons talked to Jesus. I want you to catch that because the human is not talking. The demon is. And we know from Mark chapter 5, it says a legion of demons. And if you know anything about legion, that's about 6,000. So somebody in that legion is talking to Jesus. Second thing you need to notice, the demons recognize who Jesus is. They didn't recognize anybody else. Something else that's intriguing. Remember, these guys are designed to attack and kill anybody that comes along. They run down. They notice Jesus. In Mark chapter 5, it says they hit their knees and bowed before him. What? They realize this is Jesus. Then the demons knew there was an appointed time for their judgment. It's interesting, Kenny Phillips is also on staff here, and last week he was asking me about my sermon, and he went and read the text, and he came back and he goes, hey, did you notice? And I'm like, I've been studying the passage. He said, did you notice this though? The demons are fearful of the eternal lake of fire. They're frightened and they know that's their destiny. And they're saying to Jesus, whoa, this isn't our time. Are you sending us there? And when he told me that, I started thinking, I've met people in my life going, I'll be in hell partying with my friends. And I'm thinking, the demons are afraid of the eternal lake of fire. You should be too. I mean, I'm talking about the person that said, I'll be partying with my friends in hell. The demons knew, this is number four, it was an eternal judgment. And we know that from Matthew 25, 41. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, which are demons. See, they knew. They knew Jesus had authority. They knew Jesus had power. And by the way, they didn't attack him. They would have lost. Jesus knows who they are, and they know who he is, and they're afraid of him. Look at this. The demons only spoke. They had taken complete control over these men. I think this is also encouraging. These men, they could not cry out for help at all. And Jesus had compassion on them. This should give you great hope. I don't know if you know anybody, but I have relatives and I have good friends that have handicapped kids that can't speak. Jesus can save them. That's good news. 
They don't have to speak. These men couldn't speak. And Jesus is going to save them. Jesus is known in the spiritual realm. And he has authority over the spiritual realm. He created it. He has complete control over it. And they knew it. Think about it. 6,000, a legion. And they're bowing the knee at Jesus. And they're saying, it's not our time, right? Look at their request. Number three. Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, if you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. In the Gospel of Mark, it says the herd was around 2,000 pigs. Let me give you some truths from this little text. Let me give you three of them. First thing I want you to learn about demons is this. Demons need a physical body or some place to exist. Here's their request. Now, it's a unique request. They ask for pigs. Why pigs? Well, first of all, I should take you back to the Levitical laws. Jews are not allowed to eat pigs. How many of you had bacon this morning? Good. Well, you're not a Jew. You're okay. My observation is the Levitical laws forbid Jews from eating pigs. Demons are saying, send us to a place that you don't like and we'll survive. Now, this is interesting. There's 2,000 pigs, and they're not too far from a Jewish area. Jews weren't allowed to raise pigs. It was forbidden by the law. So just keep that in your mind as we go through this. Second thing about demons is Jesus has authority to send demons anywhere. He has power, and they knew it. He had great power, more power than that ship captain. <laughs> Demons, number three, can only be in one place at a time. They are bound by physical laws. They are created beings. Notice, though, demons know he is all-powerful and he has complete control. Notice, too, that Jesus hasn't talked yet. Jesus just listened. So get the picture in your head. You're standing there. Jesus is in front of you. These men run down the hill. They bow at him. And they know, the apostles and disciples know, these guys are possessed. And Jesus finally, they realize, I'm sorry, they realize Jesus has all the power and he can do whatever he wants. And so they're making a request to him. So look, Jesus eventually speaks. Look at point four with me. Jesus exercises his authority. It's in verse 32. He said to them, go. 
So they came out and went into the pigs. And behold, the whole herd rushed down a steep bank into the sea and drowned in the water. Mark chapter 5 gives us a little bit more in a statement, but not too much more. Jesus, in that section, it said, Jesus said, come out of the man, go. He didn't say a lot. Just by the power of his word, they went into the pigs. Remember, they request going into the pigs. So why, here's a question you should ask. Why didn't he send them to hell or to the eternal torment? I'll tell you why. Jesus is the author of the Bible, and he said, you are appointed at a time in the future to be put in the lake of fire. Jesus won't go against his word. So he didn't send them there. They went into the pigs. Now, hopefully, I feel sorry for you if you're a pig lover. They all went into the sea and drowned. Now, did the demons know that? No. Why did the pigs run into the sea and drown? It's, there's a very interesting discussion throughout the Bible. The Bible talks about us being redeemed, and it says all of creation needs to be redeemed. Those pigs didn't want demons. They would rather die than have a demon in them. So, sorry, don't send me a lot of crazy notes that we should have saved the pigs. Yeah, but your, your issue is with the word. But here's the big point of this. Jesus is teaching to all of us and to all of them that were standing, people are more important than anything else. People are more important than pigs. So let's look at the results. Number five, the results of this encounter with Jesus. 33 and 34, the herdsmen fled. So you got people herding the pigs. They flee. Well, they just got out of a job. And they go into the city and they told everybody in the city everything that happened, especially what happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw them, they begged him to leave their region. There's two possible reasons why they begged Jesus to leave. The first one could be this. Because they lost 2,000 pigs. They lost their industry. That's definitely a possibility. I think if the second one is a more viable option. The second one is this. They were in fear of his power. Remember, they knew about these demon-possessed men. And they couldn't change them. Everybody in society that tried couldn't change them. They actually got beat up when they went there. And they had heard from the herdsmen, this, these guys are changed. And we know from Mark chapter 5 that one of the men, he said, Jesus, can I go with you? And he goes, no, go tell everybody in your town in Dicopolis about me. And he told everybody in the town, and the town was amazed at what Jesus did. 
See, people wanted Jesus to leave because of his power and his authority is scary. And we've known that throughout our history. We've had corrupt leaders, and their power was very terrible. Being around somebody that has true power and true authority can be scary. So what do we do with this passage? Let me give you three things, three insights from this passage that you need to know. The first one is this. Never underestimate Jesus' power and authority. Never underestimate it. A positive way of stating that is Jesus is in control of everything. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He has absolute authority over the spirit world, over Satan, over demons, over those that demons control. He's got complete authority. He expelled a legion of demons and they went because of his word. That's power. And it's a preview to the final judgment of all evil spirits. In Revelation chapters 20 and 21, we find out the ultimate judgment takes place. The demons of Satan are cast into the lake of fire because Jesus cast them there. And those that don't believe. So never underestimate his power and authority. Go back to, remember I said this is the whole universe, this carpet, and you got the one little dot is this earth. Jesus takes it over. He has complete power and authority over everything. Don't ever underestimate that. Rely on it and depend upon it. Number two, Jesus shows compassion to all people. It's not by coincidence that he landed on that rough shore and he healed two men that needed to be healed and they couldn't cry out. They couldn't do anything and he showed great compassion. That should bring great comfort to us because I know in my life and I know in probably your lives, you've met people and you go, I don't know if Jesus can save them. Don't ever say that. He can do anything. He's got great power and great authority. He can bring anybody to their knees. And he has the power to do. Number three, don't forget this. This is why you want to be on Jesus' team. He wins. He wins the battle. He wins the battle over Satan. That's good news. That's amazing news. So now we're going to take communion together. And I think what appropriate message. Because, you know, Jesus said to us, he has power and authority, and we're supposed to remember it. He has power and his authority saved two men that could not cry out. They could not ask for help. And Jesus saved them. And Jesus says, when we take communion, you need to remember what he did for you and I on the cross. He did it 
to save your soul when you were crying out. But he also saved those that couldn't cry out. So we're going to take communion. And I want to remind you a few things about it. First of all, Paul exhorts us. He says, I want you to examine yourself to see where you are in the faith. He's not saying you're not a sinner. He's saying, do you realize you're a saved sinner? And are you walking with him? So anytime I take communion, I realize I need to examine myself. How am I doing, Lord? Am I walking with you? And so he says, take it in a worthy manner, not in an unworthy manner. And the cup, it reminds us of what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. So it looks back at the cross, but it also looks forward to his second coming. Because Jesus says, I'll take it with you when you get home with him. I look forward to that day. I'm going to read a text that uh, we oftentimes don't use when we're talking about communion. But it talks about Jesus' power and authority. Peter and John were told to prepare a meal. This is in Luke chapter 22. They knew Jesus had authority. They'd been with him. They'd seen him do these miracles. And he said to them, Jesus said, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters. And tell the master of that house, the teacher says to you, Where's your guest room? where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it for them. And they went and they found it just as Jesus told them. See, Jesus has power and he has authority. And they knew it. When Jesus said, do something, you did it. And they prepared the Passover. And the hour came and he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I earnestly desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. The apostles knew it was an important meal. And then he says this, for I tell you, I will not eat it, eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to him saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then he took the cup, and when given thanks, he took it, he divided it among them. And he says, for I tell you now, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God has come. He died for us. He has authority to save your soul because of that. And he gives us as a, as a reminder so what we're going to do, we're going to take it together. If you turn it over upside down, if you didn't get a cup, you can run out and grab one. But you take the little piece of bread or whatever it is. And I'm going to pray and then we'll take it together. Lord, thank you so much that by your authority and power, you went to the cross willingly to die for us. You allowed your body to be broken for our sins. We are so grateful for that. Help us to always remember that. And we'll give you the praise and glory for it. Take and eat.
Then he took the cup. And what's unique about the cup is he was the ultimate sacrifice. His blood stopped the sacrificial system. He paid for your past sins with his blood. He paid for your present sins and your future sins with his blood. And he says, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. So join me as I pray. Lord, we are so grateful that you made a new covenant with us and you said no more sacrifices. I am the ultimate sacrifice. We're grateful that your blood paid for our sins. And we praise you and thank you for it. Help us to always remember that. So take and eat, take and drink. Hmm. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. I thank you that you saved two men that couldn't cry out. And that you're teaching us to look out for the person that we even think couldn't be saved. We know you can do it by your authority and power. And we're grateful for it. I pray that you go with us and help us to understand too. There is a spiritual battle and we need to depend on you to take care of it. And we thank you for loving us. Thank you for dying on the cross for us. Can't wait to be with you. In your precious name we pray. Amen.